Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with Carol Dunbar talking about A Winter's Rhyme that comes out on September 12th. This conversation was so wonderful. Um, I really appreciated Carol just kind of being really open and honest about the process of uh, developing a story, which is such dark themes and the research that she had to go to and the places that she had to go to because this book, I love this book, but it is, um, it's pretty intense, but either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here is Carol Dunbar. So today we've got Carol Dunbar. We're talking about a winter's rhyme that comes out on September 12th. Um, Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. I did not expect to get so sucked into this book. Like the cover, it's like, we'll get into it, but the cover is like eerie and you're like, you kind of get chills just looking at the cover. And so when I got into um, Mallory's story, I was just like, you know, you hit me in the feels and you sucked me in. And I really, you know, I'm I'm excited to, to, you know, get to know about that whole process for you. Awesome. Thank you. I'm I'm glad it drew you in because Mallory's not your typical warm and fuzzy main character. So mm-hmm. I'm really happy to hear that you connected with her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even though I have like nothing in common with her at all, I think maybe, I don't know, she... Because even some of her personality traits, I'm kind of like, sometimes when you read characters off the page, maybe sometimes you read it as like, as you are. And then when you kind of get to know them more... And then you're kind of like, oh, like, that's not what I would do at all. or That's not how I would respond at all. But I think this is more common is where like she was getting kind of antsy and wanting to, you know, just kind of getting um, a little, I don't know if claustrophobic is the right word, but she like needed to get out. It was becoming crowded in her little cabin with her girlfriend and, you know, being on lockdown and all that. And so I think I would definitely like related to her in that sense but with the whole rest it's like because her background well let's we'll get into it but first of all can you give like a summer a summary of um the book so listeners can follow along yes thank you so a winter's rhyme is a story about a young woman in the winter of her 25th year who's going through a rough time uh mallory is a she's a wreck. She's uh, anxious on edge. She's having trouble sleeping. She's in a bad relationship and it's becoming increasingly volatile. And she's in large part responsible for that volatility. And she has enough self-awareness to know that, that this isn't who she wants to be, but she doesn't know how to control the overwhelm of emotions that, that are happening to her. And to cope with this, she's exercising aggressively. She's working as much as she can. And she goes on long walks before and after her shifts. And one night uh, during one of those walks, she meets a young teenage girl injured and asking for help. And the two of them share a harrowing night together and it, it it isn't until Mallory Mallory feels compelled to help this young girl and it isn't until she's going through the process of trying to help this young girl that she starts to understand what happened to her and and the reasons behind her behaviors and for the first time in her life she starts to have compassion for herself and what she went through. So this is a story about healing trauma and what's really interesting and kind of crazy is I did not know I was writing about trauma when I started writing this book. Mm. 
That's fascinating. No, because I, it's, there's just such dark themes and that's, I love that though. Cause it's like, it's the mental health, but it's like the self-awareness, like, you know, we're all, we've all got something going on. Um, like nobody's mental health is perfect. Right. And just mm-hmm. like nobody's physical health is perfect. And it's, you know, it's, it could be as extreme as like a disability or as simple as, you know, like maybe you're like 20 pounds overweight. It's like, you know, it's like, and it affects how, you know, how fast you can run a mile. But at the same time, it's, it's a self-awareness. Like you said, I love that about her growth where she kind of like, she knows that she, she kind of knows this about her, but she doesn't have an explanation yet. She doesn't know. She doesn't yet realize like why it happened. Cause she kind of downplays it too, because it comes from like her childhood trauma, but then she's kind of like, well, it wasn't, you know, I guess it may, I think maybe that's common with people who have some, some sort of like have certain conditions where they're like, well, it's not as bad as other people or like, it didn't happen to me. And then it's like, well, but it it did like you were a child and you witnessed some of these things. And then, you know, further down the line, when she goes through her own like traumatic experience, um, you know, as a teenager and even still then she doesn't realize it until like after the fact. And it's, it, it, I just, I love that part of um the character growth that you developed for her, where it was just like, she was like, a, like she's self-aware, but then she learns like what that, like why and what that means. Cause I think that's like one of the keys is her being able to explain it or having an explanation for it. And then she can kind of be like, Oh, this is like, this is why. And now this is, it's, it's almost like I, you know, we want to be spoiler free, but I, I love that the kind of like, it's almost like it kind of, yeah. Like the meeting with Shay, the teenager kind of sparks that. And then as she goes through her journey, it's at one point, it all could just kind of clicks. And I'm like, yeah. I remember being like, yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, she got I, there. I, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think of, I think of this story, Mallory's story as a witness story. And this was the narrative that was missing for me because I based Mallory's experience on an experience I went through in my early 20s. And I didn't have a narrative to support what I was going through. Mm. I was a wreck emotionally. And um, I thought I was fine because it didn't happen to me, you know, that the things you tell yourself, you know? Um, So it was really eye-opening for me as I was going along on this journey with Mallory, I was having all these, all these realizations and probably the biggest one that I'm still wrapping my brain around because breaking the cycle of generational trauma is a thing we talk about, right? But we don't talk about how, how do you do it? What's the key? And I've identified that the key is becoming aware, that self-awareness piece of your triggers. And becoming aware of your triggers doesn't stop them from happening in your body. The biology of fight and flight is still going to freak you out and take you over. I mean, it still does. Yeah. But having an awareness of it will put you on top of it so it's not controlling you. And that for me is key. Key for, you know, I'm I'm anyone who is going through this themselves, but also for if you have like someone in your life whose behavior is driving you nuts and you think they're a B I T C H you could swear it's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Good, Cause Mallory's basically an asshole sometimes. Yeah. And 
and I think we all know assholes in our lives. And I don't know, this is kind of a... It- yeah, because I kind of think about that. Like, that's why I, um, his name is Noah. I think her coworker. Yeah. That I really appreciated um, you adding him into her life because he kind of kind of gave her like a little reality check at one point yeah. where it was like, okay, I know like you're de- we all dealing with our shit, but you like straight up if it, your behavior affects like everyone else and we don't know like what to do we don't know what to say we don't know like because yeah absolutely like everyone has assholes in their life and it's kind of like i think when if i were to ever meet or work with at mallory i would probably be like okay i'm going to stay away from her like i just yeah. don't i'm just not gonna confront her i'm just not confrontational in general but i'm also like i don't know if there's anything if <laughs> I don't know if I want to like get into that, you know, but now yeah. like reading that, reading your, your story, reading Mallory's story. Now I'm like, you know what? Like it's, it kind of aligns with so much of what we hear. It's like, we're all just people and we're all just circ- you know, we're victims of our circumstances. Right. So it's, she unfortunately didn't have <clears throat> much of a much of a say in her role in life or her like where she was placed in life and what happened in her household. But I think reading Mallory's story, like through that point of view, it kind of helps me like it just reinforces that idea of like, she's going through some shit. She's still growing. She's still like on her journey. And when she's like, she's not there yet. Like she's still working on it. And working on herself or she hasn't started or like, what point is that, you know, because I'm like, yeah, like I'm, you know, I think about the people in my life who um, have their are still working on themselves. And I'm like, it's easy to understand in that context. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's that, that Jekyll and Hyde thing was really interesting to me because she has this whole other side to her personality. I mean, she's goofy and sweet and, and really kind to strangers um, I mean, she do, she'll do anything, you know, to help someone out, but you don't, not everybody sees that. And, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, cause she's a bit able to like cultivate friendships, like with her neighbor yeah. and stuff. And even with her coworker, like she could still, yeah. And, and even when um, they're kind of on that mission to, to help the teenager, I, that's one thing I notice is like, she is like kind of getting like hyped up a little bit. And even then she's still like, I don't know why I have so much energy right now. Like I was like ready to go. And I think, yeah, it's like, it's, it's kind of like that adrenaline pumping or like, it's, it's, yeah. it's that kind of stuff that it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Where it's like, she kind of switches based on the situation she's in almost. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, learning about the biology behind fight or flight and triggers and how yeah, I was going to ask you like what kind of research went into this. Cause I'm sure you had to like look up a whole bunch of stuff. And, and also if I just want to explore like, you know, your process of how, what you went into, like what you had to search for and maybe like something that you didn't expect to learn, like something that was the most fascinating to you. Oh, we can start with that. Uh, <laughs> it was a trip. Well, just general <laughs> speaking, I, I I read books on the subject, uh, namely um, The Body Keeps Score by Vessel van der Kolk. That book came out like in 2016. It was like groundbreaking work on trauma in the body. And um, 
that was a really great book. But I also interviewed actual experts in the field because I wanted to talk to people in my area who actually work with young girls in Shay's situation. So I spoke to an ER site consult. I spoke to a social worker. I was emailing social workers. Um, I spoke to two um, lieutenant sergeants in the Army, women who served. Um, mm. and, and I interviewed... Um, gas station store overnight. <laughs> um, so how did you approach real quick how did you approach them like were you like i'm writing a book is it okay if i like ask you some questions <laughs> yeah i was kind of stalkery actually no <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the whole like the gas station is based off of uh, a chain in wisconsin uh called that called quick trip that sort of took over okay. my town. like literally six of them opened up in like <laughs> one year and uh, on one hand it was awesome because you know they do have like fresh produce and bananas and that's so cool but on the other hand i was really sad to see all these mom and pop grocery stores go mm-hmm. so i kind of had an obsession with them and they were hiring and all the young people were working at them and so i i it took a while but i found some young people willing to talk to me and um, we had great conversations and it was really cool to remember that time in your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I imagine that was, that made their day too. <laughs> like, well, I'll, yeah, I'll talk about my job. Some crazy shit happens, like random shit happens. Yeah. It was know? really cool to hear like what really goes on during the overnight yeah. shift. That was yeah. so Interesting to me. I love those. My my readers, my early readers called them the the quick trick quick trip confessionals. Oh. <laughs> but I love probably, that. Yeah, oh, I'm glad. Um, <laughs> probably the trippiest thing that happened though um, was I was uh, probably it was during the second draft, and I had done my writing for the morning, and I was doing yoga to my daughter's playlist. And the song came on, it was 2019. And I was like, oh my gosh, this song is Mallory. This is, <laughs> this is her. Like if she was a song, this is her. And I ran over to my iPod and it was um, Billie Eilish. It was Barry, Barry a friend. Okay. And I went to my office and I like went down this rabbit hole because I didn't know who she was. And I learned all about her and I learned about synesthesia because she has the kind of synesthesia that sounds awesome. Yeah. Where you- you get to see music, you get to see colors and, and shapes and mm. it sounded really cool. And Mallory had always come through very sensually uh, rich, but complicated. Like her senses overlapped, like smells and tastes and sounds really sounds, you know, kind of got mixed up and going through the second draft, I was like, I have to, I went with it the first time because it felt right. And intuitively, a part of me understood it. But the second draft through, I was like, I have to nail this down and identify what's going on. Why yeah. is she, why are her wires so crossed? And when I found synesthesia, this crazy thing happened where I went down this rabbit hole and I learned about auditory tactile synesthesia, which was a thing that I had as a kid. And I never had a name for I called oh, it wow. feeling and it was this thing that I got with certain voices on my skin that like well you read the book like that's yeah. where it all comes from and I was like oh my god that's a thing holy shit that's a thing yeah and 
you know, I learned about it too with other family members and how, how the brain does this with trauma and PTSD. And so it was a real trip um, to finally to, to identify that and then to use that to understand where that comes from and to kind of, I don't know, just sit with it. So it's a crazy thing. Like have, yeah, like have a label to it. I bet that was like really validating for you. Cause I, I, yeah, we're like kind of reading about her condition or like what she's experiencing. It's just like, yeah, her, she physically responds, or I should say the sounds have di- different, different sounds have different physical, she has different physical reactions or responses to it. And mm-hmm. I thought that was so like fascinating. Cause it just, it just further explains her as a character where she's like, you know, not only where, you know, she tends to get, un- you know, unfortunately she tends to get violent, but it's like, where do you, you know, kind of like, where do you find those pathways? Like what causes what? Is it a combination of everything? And is it like uh, a condition like that's hereditary versus like her trauma versus like just her fight or flight response? And that's just how it's all, that's the result. And it's, I just thought that, cause I'm like, yeah, of course she would like lose her shit if she, if every sound had a certain effect and a different effect and she had like no way to explain it and she's just like what like she and she she probably didn't like meet anyone else that has ever shared these experiences just she's like what you know what is going on like am i the only one like which is even more isolating and yeah yeah and what's cool is that synesthetes they think everybody sees the world this way. And I, I'm really oh, okay. interested in in the ways we all perceive reality because we're not all having the exact same experience. Yeah. You know? And I, that's really interesting to me because, you know, there are some people like my husband, for example, he can't go in a shopping mall because crowds freak him out. Mm. Like we will go to the movies. He'll drive into the parking lot. Oh, too many cars. We're driving out. No. Of the park. <laughs> you know, um, it's like we all have a we all have our capacities and, and they're all different. And, you know, that just it, it further reinforced that. You know, if we can, if we can keep that in mind and, and maybe not judge people yeah. and just have, be a little more, I don't know, give people a little more space, give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, maybe exactly. they're doing the best they can, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I, I, I want to comment on that. Is that why you guys kind of like live off the grid is because your husband's just like, absolutely not like <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely a country mouse. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was he, looking, I was looking at pictures on your website and reading more about you. And I was like, Oh, that sounds great. But like, I don't know. I would, I feel like I wouldn't, I, I just wouldn't, I don't know if I would be cut out for doing that 24 seven. Yeah. Know? It's a different lifestyle for sure. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool because I really wrote about that in in my first novel, In the Net Beneath Us. I, I really leaned in hard on the chores off the grid. Um, and what I've learned, you know, now that we've been off grid for 20 years, it's not really that unusual where I live. Like there's a lot of people that live this okay. way and there's a lot of different ways to do it. So the way that that the family does it in my first novel is different from the way Mallory and her girlfriend are doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's, you know, there's just, there's different lifestyles and I find that really interesting. So it was kind of fun to go from, 
you know, my first novel, this, we have a family who they're in the woods because they're building their house, they're building their dream. And then you have Mallory and her girlfriend and they're in the woods because they're scared and they're hiding and they're trying to get away from the <laughs> world, you know, because the world is freaking out. So yeah, yeah. Different reasons for going into exile or going into nature. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. And I, yeah, that kind of just um, reminds me. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, I've been camping a handful of times. I'm not like an enthusiast. I I go because a lot of our friends like to do it. Um, and so I'm like, well, yeah, that's fun. And plus, like, I got two little boys. So I'm like, well, yeah, they would go crazy. And it's fun for them, too. And um, my husband was like an Eagle Scout. So he's like, so experienced in that he's, you know, he's, he's got a whole system. Um, but then yeah, and I've also like, uh, been out with uh, friends who own a cabin. I'm like, well, this is also nice. Like you're kind of like outdoorsy doing stuff, but you're still, you know, you don't have to like pitch a tent and like take it down and like all that stuff. You're not necessarily like, living off the land. So yeah, I definitely appreciate like, and give kudos to people who like make it happen. Like if they know, like, nope, this is how I want to live my life. This is like what makes me happy. I give total like credit to those who make it happen and who, who love doing it. Cause I imagine it's like more sustainable and more peaceful and more like just um you know you maybe a little bit less stress to an extent like you got like less uh you know different different type of i don't want to say stressors but different type of stimuli you know different uh because it's like we have really technology versus like when you're outdoors you're living off the grid like you kind of still have to rely on technology but it's like on kind of on your terms like you're not like bombarded with it where it's like oh i you depend on it so much it's kind of like well you know, I do, I do it. I do it. Cause I'm like, got to pay my bills or got to check my email or, gotta, <laughs> you know? So yeah. And I, um, I, I like that part. Cause, and you, you so detailed in your writing where I could just, you know, I easily picture, um, you know, what Mallory and Andrea, Andrea, right. Yeah. Yeah. What their, um, what their kind of living situation is and what they're going through and how, like, yeah, I could totally see um, Mallory being like, yeah, I'm going to walk the dog and be gone for like an hour. I could t- easily see that. I could easily see that. Like, so um, I, I, you know, I really liked it. I really enjoy that, that part of it. Cause it also like, it, it plays a part into the plot too, where it's like, what's when she stumbles upon this girl is like, what is this girl doing out here? Like what, <laughs> you know, it adds to like, okay, this is, it'd be one thing if like she stumbled upon her, like in a city, like, or in a suburb even, but it's like, no, she's way, what, what is this person? You know, what is she doing out here? And why does she look like that? And, and then it's, I, and then that's like another layer to Mallory where you readers can understand more of who she is, where she's like, she wouldn't let it go. Right. Like she, I'm- she wouldn't, she wouldn't ignore it. She, or she was like, yeah, here's my contact information. Like here's like, can we get something, you know, like let's get this ball rolling. Whereas I don't know, I don't know how many people would have, you know, how many characters would have been up for that would have taken that, that route or, you know, maybe it's a sign. This is just my interpretation of it. Maybe it was a sign that she was like ready to, uh, to start that journey of healing and recovery. And that was like the moment, like she kind of needed, she was like, she needed that like event, you know, that that change, that change up for her. Yeah. I think that when you are drowning or when you are in a situation where 
you know, your life is chaos and you're stuck and you can't seem to, you know, move forward. I think that one way that you can reclaim your own power is just by helping someone else out. You know, you help someone else out and you immediately feel stronger. Yeah. It's it's a really cool thing that I've learned in my life that has made the biggest difference for me. Um, And I really wanted to write about characters and people, you know, I loved Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow because she wanted to write about a relationship that's really important. They weren't having sex, right? (laughs) Awesome. Because, you know, we have those relationships. And I wanted to write about relationships that are really important. And then you never see these people again, you know, because I've had personally a lot of those where people have really impacted me and made a profound difference in my life. And I never got to say thank you. So it's like this novel is for them, like all the people who, you know, you just go on, your lives separate, you never see them again, but, you know, they played a big role. So, yeah. That's beautiful. I love that because it's so and it yeah, and it's unfortunately, whether we like it or not, that's just sometimes what people are meant for. They're meant to make a moment in your life, cross paths and then move on. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's it's exactly right. And like part, you know, part of me was was kind of like, again, trying to be spoiler free. (laughs) I was like, when I was like reading how that situation turned out, I was just like, "Mm." but then you like kind of made up for it. So it's just like, I I I love it. I know it's tough, but I had to, I had to be truthful. Yeah. You know, that's the reality of it. It is. Cause it's like, yeah, you want, you know, readers want like a certain type of ending or certain type of like closure, but it's like, no, this is real life. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. and it was just real, real realistic because you, um, cause of your research that you did through the system and the professionals mm-hmm. that you spoke to and how they're like, this happens all the time. You know, it's like, it's unfortunately, right. And it's like, you can't, you can't make people act right. Like you can't I, make people like yeah. kind of realize that for themselves. Like you have, they have to do that on their own. Right. But, yeah. but that allowed Mallory to have this realization. You know, when my favorite, my favorite definition of a soulmate is someone who teaches you something. And I love that definition because then we get to have a lot of soulmates in our lives. <laughs> and I, I feel like, you know, Mallory and Shay's relationship was kind of like that in nature, you know, where, you know, they really. Yeah, to- yeah. yeah, absolutely. They, that that encounter and that whole exchange situation was really like special. And it was so monumental for, for Mallory, just for her well-being Cause it was just so important for her story, for her journey. Oh, kind of want to tap onto something that you kind of mentioned before. Um, how, so you talk about the first book there, your first book, not the first book, your first book, your debut. So um, how, how did this experience releasing your second differ from um, the first one? And like, you know, big lessons learned, things like that. Like how were, did you approach it the same way? Oh, oh, that's an interesting question. I, for, you know, second novels are notoriously fraught. Um, they're, they can be tricky to navigate. I've, I heard from so many authors, you know, 
how difficult it was. So I really wanted to be on top of it. I, I feel like this story, I never had a story come to me the way that a winter's rhyme did. Like I was literally 30,000 words into a completely different novel (laughs) when I got the idea for this. And like, it, it felt like this like egg, like landed in my head and the whole plot was there. And at its center glowed this yoke of like my personal experience in my early twenties and what I wanted to understand. And I had to write it and I started writing um, right away. And I just felt really driven and I feel really lucky that I started writing this like right when my first novel was being shopped to the editors in New York city. That's like a super stressful time. Um, <laughs> And my agent said, write your next book. So I was like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I think oh, about? No. <laughs> you know, and she's like, write your next book. And I was like, oh, okay. So I did. And it was the best advice I ever took um, because the pandemic happened and nobody was selling books. Nobody was getting book deals. Yeah. And I had a new story that I was falling in love with. And that just saved me from being stressed and anxious because my agent was like, maybe this is your first book. And the net beneath us will be your second, you know, Mm. he was so supportive. Uh, She loved the story idea. She was on board right away. And so when we did get a book deal, it was a two book deal, which was really incredible. So with this book, I am booking way more events because I learned that I love meeting readers in person. I love connecting with, with readers um, I, I'm really trying to do more things to get out there to talk to people because I feel I, I've, you know, marketing was really hard. My first novel, it was really difficult to take something so intensely private and make it yeah. so public. Yeah. And now I understand the way I want to do it. And the way I want to do it is I had a writing teacher tell me a book isn't about someone, it's for someone. So when I think about who my books are for, it really motivates me to to find my readers. So I have way more events booked for um, a winter's rhyme than I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going all over the state of Wisconsin. I'm yeah. going to Chicago. I'm oh, really nice. excited. I'm, I'm hoping to get to Boston. That's that looks like it's going to happen as Let well. Let me know when you're in Chicago because that's where I'm at. So maybe no if if the stars align, maybe I'll come to one of your events. So I I I like I like sometimes I like doing those. I, I'm a I'm a dork, and if I can make it work, I'll, I'm all for it. You know. Oh, that would be awesome. I would love that. <laughs> I would love to meet you in person. I'd love to sign a book for you. I love yes. signing. I love it. Um, no, that's so cool. I love that you, that things worked out for you, that you were still able to get this story out into the world. Like, even if it wasn't, and that you had, you know, your professional support system was like, do it. Who knows? Right. That's I feel awesome. really lucky. Yeah. I really yeah. have a great agent. I feel really fortunate in that. I feel really lucky with that. Um, I met her in yeah. person and it was really cool because I knew right away, like, oh, you're a good human. And that's yeah. really <laughs> because I didn't realize how much I would be depending on on this person after the book deal. I mm. thought it was, you know, just about them getting me the book deal. Oh my gosh. After you get the book deal, you have so many questions and you really want someone who you trust and whose aesthetics kind of align with yours because you're making these decisions and you're super emotional about it because it's your first book, you know? (laughs) 
but they know that too like this that's their thing so they get it like right yeah. they're like yeah they're oh, like this is like old hat for them you know, yeah. <laughs> they, you know they're doing this they, all day yeah they know um, what they're doing they're like i know it's your baby this is how we're gonna handle it you know yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. absolutely it's crazy it's like like one percent of writers get their novel published and like there's so many books that come out you know every year and, you know, you talk to so many writers and you have so many books, you know, there's so many yeah. books, so many awesome books. <laughs> there are, yeah. Um, but it's like so hard to get your book out there. Um, but yeah. 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 It's like I was, we were saying earlier, it was just like everyone's journey, um, author journey is different, but they're all valid and interesting. And it's like, you know, none of it is easy. It's like, unless you're, you know, 20 years down the line and you'll have like 20 books that's published under your belt. And then even then I feel like, no, it's still not going to be easy. You're still going to be like going through, you just, you'll just be a little more experienced in like the whole, um, you know, the whole run of run of the mill business, how the business operates. Right. Like, yes, but yeah. it's still, yeah, it's still like a struggle to like, keep readers engaged, keep your fan, like your reader base, like satisfied, keep yourself satisfied, like not get bored with yourself. Right. Like, you know, cause I know some authors, um, they, they try to challenge themselves and it's like, no, that's like what you got to do. That's what you need to do. And, and once you're done, you're like, oh yeah, I can handle anything. Like <laughs> You're like, I got this. Like, <laughs> uh, I I can't wait to feel that way. I can't wait to be like, I can write any kind of book. Cause right now, <laughs> I mean, I did, I bit off a lot. My first novel was um, a rotating third person and I had four narrators, which oh, okay, was like, yeah. like, that's why it took me 12 years. Cause it was a lot <laughs> to learn. Plus I was learning how to split firewood too. So okay. it was, <laughs> that old thing you know yeah so that that was a big learning curve and i'm excited to try like other things and do other voice uh, you know other approaches like with with mallory's story it's interesting i wrote an essay about it for the the forge blog because my early drafts my first draft was in first person i wrote this um book largely in journals and Mallory came through really, really strong for me. Like it was, it was propulsive. It was confessional. It was urgent. But then when I printed that draft out and read it, I, me, the author, I was like, this is the wrong voice. This book mm -hmm. has to be a third person because she doesn't have the self-awareness yet to navigate, you know, all these, the past and present narrative. She's, she's too in it. Yeah. You know? And and it's it's her story. I mean, she goes through the, this huge growth. So it had to be in third person. So I wrote the next draft in third person. And my writing group was like, whoa, what'd you do? This is so much better. <laughs> but Mallory kept like bugging me. She kept like, I'd be writing and I would slip into first person. So I was like, what's what? Whoa, maybe I have the voice wrong. So I was, I was really questioning, like, is it supposed to be first or is it supposed to be third? Right. So I was looking at like other books, like I studied Ocean Vaughn's On Earth. We are briefly gorgeous, which I love that book. Oh so yeah, I that's on my to read list. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought maybe the whole book is like, because that's a letter to his mom, and I thought maybe this whole book is a letter to Shay from Mallory. Mm. Like you can see that kind of maybe working, right? But it didn't work. 
I, I tried, mm. it didn't work. So then I was looking at No Country for Old Men because <laughs> that book is in third person, but it has these first person italicized chap sections in it, like from the sheriff. So I did that. I did a whole draft like that. And my agent's like, um, I really like the messy Mallory. I don't like the <laughs> italicized first person put together Mallory. You know, they, they just get in the way of the plot. They slow everything down. So I could see that where kind of like it it doesn't flow as well. Yeah. It interrupted the momentum, you know, because once things happen, it like picks up. So then I was like, well, what do I do? Because Mallory is like really bossy and she really wants to talk. Right. So I was at a writing workshop with Diane Wilson, author of the seed keepers. And she told me, she said, have you tried rotating third? We're, you know, maybe let Noah talk, you know, let Andrea talk. And she taught me this writing exercise, right? Where you sit, you like burn sage and you go, um, Noah Quakenbush, tell me your story. And then you start (laughs) writing, right? So I'm like, okay, well, I did rotating voice for my first novel. This sounds cool. So I go into my office, I get the candle on. I'm like, Noah Quakenbush, tell me your story. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) And it was, it was really kind of funny because it was almost like he was afraid to talk oh like, god like the true noah fashion right yeah nobody would and it was like they know it's mallory's story and they're not gonna like increase you know encroach on her turf you know so i went to a reading uh by one of my favorite writers elizabeth strout because one of the books i was studying was uh, my name is lucy barton i love that novel and i thought maybe that was like my my first role model book for this story because I wanted it to have that confessional kind of intimate feel like a memoir mm. almost. But but first person didn't work. So I asked Elizabeth Strout, how did you know that first person was the right voice for this book? Because usually she writes in third. And she said, voice is the golden thread I follow and, and I trust it implicitly. So I was like, okay, so trust voice. So for some reason, Mallory needs to talk. But I know as the as the author, as the person in charge of the craft of this novel, I know it needs to be in third. And finally, I stumbled on the monologue. And I realized that Mallory needs to tell her story to someone for the very first time. So we need to hear her not in a backstory scene. We need to hear her talk about what she went through as a survivor to another person for the very first time in her life. And that, that was very powerful for me. I was really moved, moved by that when I figured that out. And that was really cool that, that I like battled it out with Mallory. Okay. You know, you're right. (laughs) You need to talk. And it was like big magic stuff. You know, it was like a real cool partnership. I love that. I, I love that. You know, I love the struggle. I love this out that, you know, discovering how this story needs to be told because everyone there's like, it's the telling the, like the story in itself, you've got that down, but to like, to really get into it and to be like, okay, no, like what? And just to trust your gut, right. And trust your instinct and to be like, but also be willing to, that's awesome that you were able to talk to people to ask questions 
um, to people who you like, I want to know how you did that kind of thing. Like I want, like what were you struggling with this? Cause I'm struggling with this, you know, like yeah. that's, that's perfect. That's awesome. I love yeah, that. It, it was really cool to hear that other writers struggle with voice sometimes. And I'm really lucky that I write fast and that I can like do a whole draft wrong. I wish I heard a faster way to figure that out. Right. I think, um, I've told other authors this before where I think I read somewhere like the, the purpose of a first draft is to just be a first draft. Like it's not ever, ever going to be your final. It's not going to be the thing, the manuscript that you turn in to be printed. Like, you know, it's, it's, you get it down, you get it written, you get it on paper and then you could go for it. Like then you can go at it and then everybody else goes at it too, where they're like, marking it up and you're just like okay like like, yes i will constructive criticism all day right (laughs) i I actually don't show anyone my first drafts okay it's like my (laughs) first draft is for me like that's just mine right but i actually approach first drafts a little bit different than um, all of my writing friends. And I think it's because I have a theater background. That's my background. I was a working actor for more than a decade. I was super intense and dedicated to that art form. When I realized that it was the wrong art form, that I was a storyteller working in the wrong, you know, medium. And so what for me, like when an actor gets a script it's like this holy thing and you like learn how to mine it. Like you're, you're reading, trying to like, everything's about you, the the character you're playing. Right. So you're like, you know, learning what do people say about me? What am I not mm-hmm. saying, but thinking, you know, what's here, but what's not here. And what are other people saying about me? Right. So you really like study. And, and that's what I do with my first drafts. Like, I feel like your first drafts contain these um, gifts from the subconscious that you don't understand yet. Kind of like what happened with Mallory, where there was a lot that her first person voice was like important Mm -hmm. and it was there from the beginning, you know, and I, and I had to trust that. And I feel like there's, there's little gems in your first draft. So yeah, they're crap and yeah, they're not, (laughs) and you don't really want anyone to read them. I don't want anyone to read mine, but there's still magic in there. There's some things in there, you know, diamonds. So don't totally disrespect them. Don't totally throw them out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of my favorite questions to ask this uh, two-parter is um, you, maybe you kind of touched on this, the most challenging parts to write and like the most enjoyable parts to write. Hmm. Well, the most enjoyable were the scenes with Noah. I love the scenes between Mallory and Noah. They were just magic. They were, they were so delightful to write. Um, I, my husband and I call it petting the cat when like oh. you have like a scene that you really like and you just keep reading it over and over. It's like nice kitty. And, oh, that's adorable. Uh, I, just love, I love their scenes so much. They were a lot of fun to write. Um, the most challenging. So like there was this one interview that I couldn't get with the ER psych nurse and I tried for a year and like, he, you know, I mean, it's really difficult to interrupt someone who's doing like super important yeah. work with youth in crisis. Oh, excuse me. Can we talk about my imaginary <laughs> scenario? You know, right. so it's really hard for them to make time. And, you know, we were getting down to the gun where my editor was like, you know, these scenes in the ER are not, 
you know, right. And like, I know, and I know this is wrong and I need to talk to this person. So finally I got a hold of them. And after that phone call, it was awesome. It was an amazing phone call. It was like an hour and a half. He answered all my questions and he was basically, um, that wouldn't happen. And mm, I can see how that might happen, but it would be much harder. And then this would be harder and this would be harder. And I basically mm. had to go in and change a lot of things. And it was an intense rewrite, but I had to do it because I had to yeah. be real. And and that was the most challenging time because I was under the gun for a deadline. It was during the holidays. My dog died and it was oh, just really intense. No. <laughs> Oh, that is one gripe I have with you. If anything, you're spoiler free, but that's like a trick, you know, that's like content warning for people. <laughs> like, um, so I can see where you slip that in. Oh, that's so sad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. My editor and I had a really interesting discussion about that because I was like, you know, there has to be stakes. There has to be something at stake. And, uh, you know, we actually care more sometimes. I feel like we've become so desensitized to violence. We actually care more about a, a dog being injured than yeah. we do a woman, you know? Yeah. So I'm okay with pissing off readers about that because I want to kind of shake people up a little and say, yeah. let's pay attention to this, you know? But yeah, yeah. And, I, and you're absolutely right. Like you see it in the media and you see how people react and to things and it's like, I don't know. There, there, like, there was like more outrage over like Harambe dying than there was like, I don't know. We don't want to get political, but like, name any black man that's been killed, right? It's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. So I'm like, no, but I don't blame you. I'm not mad at you. It was just like, <laughs> it was just like, oh, no. <laughs> you're like, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> On, on the happy side, um, we rescued a dog. He was with me when I turned in my final draft. And what was really, really powerful for me was we rescued this dog who um, had PTSD. And he had all the symptoms that I had been writing about. So I got to like see them in this dog. And what was really freaking amazing was that because I had done four years of deep diving into trauma and understanding it and doing the research and doing the work, I knew how to help this dog. Oh, and it was the coolest thing because when we first got him, like he wouldn't let anyone touch him. He did not understand what to do with humans. He would like, if you inhaled too loudly, he would jump to the other side of the room and he had just lost his sister. Oh, he had been living on the streets. He couldn't even sit down um, when they found him because his fur was so entangled with burrs. He's a great Pyrenees, so they called him the polar bear. He's this huge white dog. Oh right? my gosh! Yeah, yeah, it's, it's different. It's like so different than like a smaller, medium-sized dog, oh, right? When they're yeah. huge. <laughs> but like, yeah. I went through the steps. You know, I went through the same steps that Mallory goes through. Like time in nature to de-stress. We got on a routine. We were going on walks in the snow, just like you know, Aww, that's all so kinds great. of weather. And now he's like my best buddy. He's, he's like next to me all day in my office. He is so, so great. He's such a great soul. I mean, like he finally came out, like yeah. he know who he is now. Cause he was just shell shocked. He was just, Aww. it was really a cool thing to be able to, to watch his like growth and his journey yeah. and his like 
path toward like slowly becoming more comfortable with you guys and accepting you as like his part of his pack. Right. Yep. It's like, yep. yeah. And opening out and like being himself again, like expressing joy. Like I remember yeah. the first time, feeling like, safe to like, let himself. Yeah. Exactly. Like, feeling safe. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. I love that. No, I'm a, such a dog person. And if it were up to me, we'd have like four rescue dogs. We just have, no. I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'll, you know, I'm like, you know, I'll see videos of, of, uh, you know, special needs dogs. And I'm like, Oh, I'll get you your medication. I'll get you your wheelchair. Like, come, like, come oh. but it's, it's the same, like our, with a dog that we've had, um, she is going to be, what kind of dog she, is she? so she's straight up a mutt, but she's mostly oh. like German shepherd and, um, like, lab retriever but she's got some hound beagle um she's got some staffordshire terrier like pit bull mix in there but she's she's like maybe 55 pounds on a good day like she's very medium sized she's lanky she's got a dark coat um but she's like the sweetest thing like we got her when she was like four months old she was like um a rescue from tennessee like Mm -hmm. i live in illinois the chicago area and so it was just like she found her way through that partnership with the place that we got her from and um it even took some time to like convince my husband i was like okay well after we buy the house and after we get married we're gonna get a dog right like that was like i would i would have had a dog like so much earlier but he was like no let's like do this first do this first do this i was like okay now like okay ring house puppy right (laughs) 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 and like nine years later and she's still like you know she's such a good girl she's sweet the vet whenever we take her to the vet they're like oh she's such a good girl i have not seen any other dog so calm accepting her shots like it yeah it took like because that's what i read about it's like it takes some like what like three months to really settle in yeah it takes them three months to settle in and like she was four months i can't imagine a dog that was like four years old right it's like you know it it takes a bit more effort but like she's the same way like she'll follow me wherever because i'm the one who looks out for her i'm the one who takes her out for walks she when she knows like i go for a run outside um or even like a walk outside she sees me like putting on my hat or putting on my certain shoes and she like gets excited like she knows it's on like if she sees me putting on certain items she is like ready and then she like and then I feel bad when she's mistaken I'm like no you can't come with like (laughs) yeah yeah, I know I know you say the word walk in a sentence and they're like oh it's like no no exactly (laughs) or if like I'm putting on my gym like I'm putting on my shoes like my workout shoes or my gym shoes and I'm like no I'm going to the gym like I'm sorry you're not allowed in the gym versus like going out on you know for a run and it's like yeah she was my running buddy like i've i've run two marathons the chicago marathon twice i've i don't think i'd ever do one again i don't think my knees or my hips can handle it but yeah. you know i i she was my running buddy and she'd go up to 10 mm-hmm. miles with me and i would only i would cut her off because she has black fur and i'd feel like no girl you need to like just go rest and drink some water and get out of the sun you know and so i totally i'm a sucker for dogs i always care more about dogs than people (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so i understand so i like you know it i i totally get it and like now my husband's like oh well you could get a second dog but then i'm like looking at you know the living room and i'm like the small children's toys are like gonna be chew toys <laughs> so they could still be like oh this is this is great i don't like mine i like yours <laughs> <laughs> so just a couple more you know now that i'm done rant like raving about dogs um, <laughs> <laughs> i love talking about dogs 
I would mm-hmm. love it too. Um, just a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, so I kind of want to talk about like, how did you get yourself in and out of like the zone? You kind of talked about like um, writing about these darker themes or like getting into the character and getting into her trauma. How how did you like kind of get in and out? Like when it was writing time, get in the zone, get into that dark, challenging space and then releasing yourself like non-writing time not in the zone you know like that's was it, that yeah. how did yeah how did you do that that's a really good question because for this book um it was really important to have buffer time around it like I couldn't just go from writing this to time to do my emails or post on social media or <laughs> I, I couldn't I needed to have like a transition time and I actually usually do I try to build that into my day to have transition time because, you know, you're like in this whole different world. So um, I now I'm in a place in my life where I can write first thing in the morning. So this this novel, like I was telling my writing friends, I'm like, the only time you can write about trauma is at 4 a.m. when nobody will bother you. <laughs> you know, it's like I had to commit to getting up at 4 a.m. Otherwise, it was just too oh, frustrating. Oh, so you did it and it worked? I did. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a magical time. It's quiet, like especially in the winter because this was a winter oh, book. Oh, yeah. yeah. Winters in northern Wisconsin are long. So, you know, you I would get up in the in the dark, and I would go and the and I would light a candle, and I always lit I always light a candle when I write because I need that. Um, it's a source of warmth, but um, <laughs> also it just reminds me what I'm writing for, you know. Yeah. And so when I'm done, I blow out the candle, and then I kind of wrap things up. And then I usually do something physical, like I go split firewood or I I go for a run or I walk the dog. I do something physical because I want to catch those things that like thoughts after thoughts, like, oh, he needs to say it's not that. Or, oh, this is where you can put that really cool thing. Or, oh, this is what the snow looks like. And and I bring a notebook and I like catch those things. And then I kind of leave myself a little love note for the next day, you know, like Aww. here's things. And that way I, I'm, you know, c- catching those things. If I go right into the next activity, I miss that. That's that's great. I love that ritual where it's just like not only mentally, but physically. And it's like the lighting of the candle. I can see that as being like okay, that's your signal. Like, Mm -hmm. no going back. I'm going to walk away. I'm done. That's, that's awesome. I love that. And that's, yeah. I feel like that could be so helpful with like, not just writing, just like so many other things, just to like, give yourself a signal, give yourself a routine to like change activities. Yes. And give yourself permission to honor this is soul time. You know, this is sacred time and this is my time and whatever you're doing with it, you know, it, it is helpful to have that candle burning because if you get interrupted and you're like, oh my God, my candle's burning. I gotta get back. <laughs> <laughs> the candle. Yes, that's perfect. Absolutely. So what, I love this question. <laughs> what advice do you have for Mallory? Oh, wow. Oh, honey. Oh, Mallory. <laughs> uh, you know, I want her to... Whatever she thinks she deserves, I want her to just turn that up a little, you know? I kind of want that for any woman who's gone through anything like this. I just want them to 
any man, any person, anyone, just whatever you think you deserve, just just up that a little bit. That's beautiful because it's, I think some things that we want, we'll still compromise on. But then if you dial it up, you kind of get closer to what you want. Yeah. So, yeah. And Mallory, it's like, yeah, once she realized what she needed and she got her shit like together and she realized what she needed to do to like heal and self-acknowledge and self-care and grow, it was like, it was on. I, it was like a person, like I was so happy for her. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, cause yeah, as a reader, you like kind of, you just root for her. Cause she's just like, yeah, she's got, she's really problematic or her actions are kind of problematic, but then like, you just, you know, her, like you're the readers get to know her and you're just like, like she has an explanation and I want, we want her to realize that explanation. And then, keep going keep following that path keep talking to the people keep you know asking questions the fact that she had other people that she could be in contact with that would also aid in that it was like yeah yeah, she would she would not have had she not been so adamant about helping this teenager she would not have discovered this about herself and so that kind of like comes to fruition like with your comments earlier about like that's what she needed yes you know as simple as that Carol Dunbar, what's next for you? Are there any projects that you're working on that you could talk about? Yes, um, I'm working on my third novel. Yay. And I, yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm falling in love with um, my new characters. Um, and this time I'm writing about artists and mushrooms and fame. And I'm going to have fun. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I love that. I love your enthusiasm too. You're like, bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm really excited about this, about this new novel and it's really fun. I want to write about magic in, in everyday life, you know, how we can bring a sense of wonder and magic back to our day to day. Yeah. So it's going to, it's going to be a good place to visit and, and do, to live and to be. So yeah, I feel like I deserve a, a book like yeah. that. Yeah. Own it. Yes. Yes, you do. You deserve to have fun and to get (laughs) out there and to, you know, up the ante, all that good stuff. You deserve it for sure. Carol Dunbar, A Winter's Rhyme comes out on September 12th. This was such a fascinating conversation. I'm so glad I was able to talk to you about it. I love Mallory's story. I appreciate all the work that went into this and, you know, keep us in mind. We'll welcome you back for a second time, third time, fourth time, whatever you want. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you reading Megan. It was a pleasure talking with you and thank you for, thank you for understanding Mallory. That means that really means a lot to me absolutely no she is she'll stick with me for a bit thank you thanks megan and i will keep listening to your podcast thank you thank you so much really appreciate it and there you go that was carol dunbar talking about a winter's rhyme that comes out on september 12th check out the show notes for links to um, follow her online and on social media and where to purchase the book Rate, review, subscribe, follow us on X and on Instagram, The Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club. 
If you need to add some books to your reading list, go ahead and check out my book reviews on thenerdcantina.com. And if you really do like the books, uh, go ahead and hop on over to Goodreads and Amazon and give them a rating. It really does help them out. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.